Welcome to Reentry Stories, a new podcast from WYSO. I'm Mary Evans. Every week we feature conversations between people who were once in prison. When we return to the community, we often have trouble finding jobs, housing, education, and mental health services. Every year in Ohio, more than 22,000 people are released from prison, 1,500 in Montgomery County alone. All the people in our series have taken part in either St. Clair Community College's Advanced Job Training Program or the Dayton Collaboratory's X-Factor Initiative. January Newport and I met while both in prison and participating in the Sinclair program. Now outside of prison, we are both advocates for returned citizens and we are strong believers in education. January is a certified chemical and alcohol dependency counselor and she visited Washington, D.C. to talk about second chance Pell Grants, the grants part of a bill originally authored by Ohio Senator Rob Portman to provide federal funding for higher education and incarcerated and returning citizens. What was your childhood like in Dayton? My childhood in Dayton was pretty average to, I guess, what I would think the normal would be. How old were you when you first started using opiates? I believe I was about 17. I had a series of events that happened medically. So I went to the hospital and was prescribed prescription opiates. And it was at that time that I had discovered that I liked them. There wasn't a lot of education in the community about opiates at the time. So it didn't seem any more uh, harmful or any more risky than anything else that I had experimented with as far as cocaine or marijuana or drinking alcohol. It, It seemed just like any other substance, I guess. I didn't develop any physical dependence or issue with opiates until after my first incarceration. It was then that opiates, more than prescription opiates, were making a you know a scene and a comeback in the society. It was then that I began to experiment with heroin and harder, more illicit substances. So I was probably around 21, I think. You mentioned that was your first incarceration. You were incarcerated how many times? Three times. How did you end up getting three different numbers? My first incarceration was involving alcohol and anger and and violence. What was the hardest part of your incarceration? My third incarceration by far is the most memorable and the most bittersweet, I guess you could call it. My mom passed away six months before I was to be released. So that was by far the hardest experience that I have ever probably encountered to this day. But I'll say it was the most bittersweet just because I know looking back now I was where I needed to be and I was in a safe place. Did you and your mom have a relationship where you guys use drugs together? No. I will say that my mom wasn't the, she wasn't your everyday like soccer mom. We were raised by our grandparents, but our relationship was nonetheless still strong. She had her struggle with alcohol and working uh, minimum wage jobs. However, she did the best that she could to be a part of our lives and be in our lives. And we very much still had a very strong bond and relationship with her. For me, my mental health wasn't always as strong before or during. And I think that I chose a lot of unhealthy relationships while I was inside prison because I was looking to find that like void. Yeah, I was looking to find that like void or just that sense of like I can have this to self-destruct me because like the drugs of my choice wasn't accessible. So it was like I'll just, you know, use these relationships as that or whatever. But I think getting my mental health together and then just simply getting myself together um, is what helped me improve and helps me to stay focused on – the process of still transform. I mean, I'm still transform. I feel like I'm still transformating. Um, when you spend 
half your life not really knowing who you were and letting someone tell you who you were half your life. Um, it's like being a teenager all over again sometimes. I'm 37 and I still feel like I'm still, you know what I mean, improving in the um, the transformation process. But I'll tell you one thing, though. The, the whole process has definitely allowed me to be a better role model for myself because um, the 11 years ago, Mary was like no good for anyone. You know what I mean? And um, I would say even like three years ago, Mary probably wasn't even that good for anyone either. But I feel like I'm a little bit better, not for anyone, but for myself now. I was my own oppressor. Seriously. I never really had a, a lot of faith in myself or belief in myself because I was never really told that as a child that I could like do things or I would be something. And so when you start to realize that you can, it changes a whole different dynamic for you. And you're like, oh my God, I was the one who was keeping me down. It was never my mom. It was never, you know, this person or that person. It was myself. Learning that and then going to the places that I've been and having to endure what I've had to endure, it's just made me stronger. And it's made me also to find better strategies to fight with too. Because you don't always have to be loud and boisterous and physical to win the fight. Knowing processes and wanting to do research. Actually wanting change and wanting to do it a different way. I feel like that's how I've overcame the oppression. Because if I still stayed in the thinking level of my oppressors and started to feel like, okay, well, I need to get revenge this way or do then that's when I would be lost. And then that's when they win. And you got to find the tool to dismantle the master's house immediately. You know, when you're in prison, they have control of everything. And when they realize that you're weak, that's when they really got you. But when those officers realize that they can't get your mind, like you can do whatever you want to with my body. You can lock me up, beat me up. You can do whatever, but you're not going to get my mind. And when they realize that you're not weak, then that's when they quit messing with you too. For me, it was, I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of the oppression that I endured, not only was it myself giving it to myself, but it was me allowing myself to think that my oppressor's way was the way and that I was weaker and they were stronger than me. And it's not that at all. I, I like this process. I like listening. I like, I'm learning from you. It's always a, a beautiful thing that transpires when the people that have spent time together and shared related experiences, and then we get to meet up out here and we're being productive, right? We're not meeting up on bad terms. Right. Like we're meeting up for a cause and, and I'm learning from you, Mary, and so much more than I knew inside. And my approach is very different than yours when it comes to the stigma and when it comes to discussing a lot of my past. I'm very comfortable when I'm with people that are like me. I'm very comfortable when I'm speaking to people, when I'm advocating for these things that uh, people are in favor of, or if I'm trying to persuade a crowd, this is what I've been through, this is who I am. But let me get away from that, and I'm very selective in sharing and disclosing about who I am, where I come from, the experiences that I've went through. So I'm learning from you because it's something that I don't like. It's something I, I don't like feeling like I'm two different people. I've pretty much been very open and honest with everyone about anything and everything I've done. And the reason why is because I don't want someone to use anything against me anymore or be able to hurt me. Why did you go to D.C.? And then, like, how was that process? What was it for? It was um, advocating for a second chance Pell grant. From the federal level. I really think it's unfortunate that people can't continue on and that they're only limited to certifications or like a trade skill. There's an organization, and I could be saying it wrong. Don't quote me on this. Vera? Vera Institute. Vera Institute. Okay, mm -hmm. so shout out to Cheryl Taylor, Sinclair Community mm -hmm. College Reentry. She knows some people that's in Columbus with Vera Institute. Education is the vital component that you need for 
for reentering. The process needs to start way earlier in your 25-year sentence than waiting until you're five years before you leave. So then you have a 20-year institutionalized brain that you're going to try to deinstitutionalize and feed all this other information into for five years. And you could get an associate's and a bachelor's degree and stuff. And now they've taken that money away. If there's anything in the United States that no one should ever pay for, well, there's two, water and education. I will say with the trade industry, though, they are trying trying to push that more. However, I do believe they're trying to get some Pell Grant that will help fund trade school because there is going to be a big transition and change into trade. You may see less push for college education because of some of the barriers that you're describing. But if you think about whatever might be of trade, like plumbing and construction or roofing, those kinds of things, machinists and mechanics and There's a lot of money in that, and there's quick, easy, attainable employment. I had no idea that we were going to be sitting in front of these microphones and... Being this intimate sharing. Yeah. And then, like, I get to know, I get to learn a little bit about you. You get to see where I work and see how this whole process works. Super cool experience, like I said, just to see that we're being productive and we're meeting up. Look at the place that brought us together. We were in some of the deepest and darkest points in our, like you said, our mental states and maybe our spiritual conditions or our physical conditions were uh, maybe some of the most deplorable that we'll ever stay in. But through that experience, here we are, we're meeting up. Hopefully the second chance Pell will go through and there will be more federal funding for the the people that want to do well in prison, that want to get out and and continue their lives and have that opportunity just as we've been given. Senator Rob Portman, shout out to him. Great guy. Awesome guy. (laughs) I think he's got to be like my number one fan in this whole education and second chances. And Well, Senator Portman, is he going to run for president? I mean, I just need someone in that's going to let me know that I don't have to work until I'm 75 to get my kids through college. Like, I need someone in there that's going to give me some free education. So if you're not talking about that, then you ain't talking to me because, like, that's what I'm after. I need some help in here. So Bernie, Senator Portman, whoever, if you're listening, we need some free money for education and we need you to take our debts away so that we can move on with our credit scores and be able to provide for our children. For sure. For sure. Thank you so much, January, for stopping by. Is there any, like, last questions or anything you want to ask me? No, I don't think so. All right. It was good to see you and talk to you. And I'm glad that it was under these circumstances and us not fancying that old 4104 Germantown. <laughs> For sure. That was me, Mary Evans, in January Newport. We are both continuing our education and we will be graduating in the spring of 2020 with our bachelor's degrees. This is Reentry Stories. I'm Mary Evans, the series producer. This series is a collaboration between WISO, Sinclair Community College, and the Dayton Collaboratory. Funding support comes from Sinclair and the Eichelberger Center for Community Voices. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. To hear more reentry stories, subscribe to our podcast at WISO.org or your favorite podcast app. Bye.